Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. Today's guest is Marin Brombeis, A&R and label manager for Last Night on Earth, record label of legendary house music DJ Sasha, a longtime personal favorite of mine since childhood. She's also an artist manager of Weevil, JP and Font, and Sasha himself. Now, I'm a religious listener to LNOE, so I'm truly honored to have her here to discuss both her work and how she started her career on the management side of music. It takes quite a set of skills to build a career in dance music as she has, and a whole lot of tenacity. So with that, I'm super pleased to welcome to the show, Marin Brombeis. Okay, Marin, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the podcast. How are you doing? You're very welcome. Um, I'm doing good. I've had um, uh, quite a busy day in the snow here. Um, Cycling around Amsterdam, running some errands, and um, it's my first time really cycling in proper snow, so it's been a little bit slippery, but I'm still standing. <laughs> That's right. I used to do that all the time. Um, when I worked at Armada Music, I remember biking yeah. 45 minutes in the snow to and from work every day. It's something that I don't miss. I'll just put it that yeah. way. No, I do like it's, 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 you enjoy I like it. it because it's super sunny. It was like super sunny today. So it's like oh, okay. the city's just so pretty. Everything's covered in snow. It's really nice. You just have to be a bit careful in the street. I remember a few times going through Vondel Park or other parks and my bike slipping out from underneath me and then me just super manning yeah. and flying on the ice in front of tons of people. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. that's you what I think about. Take care, but yeah. it's all good. It's all good. Well, you know, the reason there are several reasons that I wanted to have you on the show. Um, I think what you're doing is very, very interesting. And I reached out because I'm a huge fan, always have been of Sasha and Last Night on Earth, which you're a part of. Um, So could you please just give us, let's say, a paragraph overview of who you are, what you do, what your career is? Sure. So I'm an artist manager, first and foremost. Um, I've been working in this job for, um, since 2013, what's that? Seven, eight years now. And, uh, I started at a company called 360 and then did my own thing for a little while. And, um, my current role is I'm looking after Sasha. I do the label management for Last Night on Earth. Um, and then I also manage another act called Weevil, um, that are a Dutch, um, electronic band. I mean, they have a, a electronic DJ duo um, element to them, but they are first and foremost a band, a live band. And then I manage another DJ called uh, JP Enfant, who's um, very much in the techno club scene of Amsterdam, um, which is also my bread and butter. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm doing. It's um, keeping me nice and busy, even throughout these Very non-touring good. times. Right. Um, so yeah, that's that in a nutshell. Okay, so what, what is the day-to-day of managing these artists the day-to-day is definitely has definitely changed in the last year a lot of the you know i used to think that like putting the label aside just focusing on the artists i used to think that you know 70 percent of my time is spent on tour related stuff right Right. um and that's just you know working with agents looking at shows billing you know um even even though we outsource the logistics, you're obviously still across stuff like that just to make sure everything works, um, routing wise. And then obviously, um, you know, promoting and marketing the show. Is it our own show? Um, so that was a lot of it, you know, and then obviously next to that, of course, also the production of the music. So, you know, I am involved in, you know, the A&R process and strategy, release strategy around um, records coming together. Um, and so forth. So that's, those, are, I guess, the two big components, but then there's also, you know, the not so fun stuff, which is a lot of the admin, you know, administrations, royalties, um, you know, publishing, um, budgeting, P&Ls. Um, there's a whole element of merchandise, marketing, social media, PR, when we're going through campaigns. So there's a lot of different components, you know, some artists need certain things more than others. You know, you're working within different teams. So, yes. you know, artist A might have, you know, a social media manager, a PR person, have all these people in place. And then your manager becomes more the role of, you know, liaising all these different people together where you become somewhat of the hub, you know, um, and that kind of connection between those other people and the artist. Whereas other, you know, smaller acts, they may not have such an extensive team. 
and then you're more involved um, on a smaller level. But um, I mean, a lot of what I'm doing right now is music focused, you know, I'm looking at new projects. I'm just working on a really exciting project with um, JP here. Um, we're, you know, talking a bit about building a new, it's going to be, it is going to be a label, but we want it to be more than a label. There's a whole like conceptual element around it, you know, that it's, um, you know, we're looking at bringing in different components of, you know, um, healing sounds with mu- uh, with music and meditation both and stuff like that. I love that. That's awesome. So, yeah, it's called Psychedelic Romance. Ooh, I can't wait. <laughs> You'll have to send me a link when it's ready. That sounds very cool. So, yeah, I love those things. That. So Both it's nice because you have the time to really get into the creative yeah. stuff as well. You know, putting out new projects, going into campaigns. So sure. yeah, it's um, I like now, what I do. Do you see yourself as more of a creative person? I, I don't know if you know the type A, type B. Or would you say you're more of a organizational type person? Like I like spreadsheets and Excel documents, or more creative? Let's just see how things go type of person. Um. So I'm German, so I'm quite organized and efficient at heart. <laughs> Everything in a neat little rectangle. <laughs> yeah, I I am organized. I'm really okay. organized. You know, I love a folder. I love yes. a sheet. But I also really like the creative element of it, you know, of, um, yes. working on campaigns and having all that come together. It kind of goes hand in hand, you know. I'm not a creative persona in terms of um, being an artist. Right. You know, I'm not... Um, creating anything in the sense of I'm not producing music, I'm not making music. That was never really for me. I always knew I wanted to be in the music business, but I always knew that for me it was Behind more the, the execution of things. Yeah, mm. I see myself more mm. in, the, in, in the business side in that sense. But I think, you know, in order to be a manager, you also have to be somewhat creative because you have to work on the artist's vision with your artist, and then you have to create on making that happen. So it's just creative in a different sense, I would say. And if you're managing a label and you're doing the A&R, then your taste is paramount. Your taste in records, yeah. what's good, what's not good, what artists I mean, are good. I mean, you know, that is the, the A&R, the label, it's very much a team. You know, Sasha's obviously very, very involved in all of that. Um, you know, we get sent a lot of demos. So we try to create somewhat of like a filter system, you know, when I'm like, okay, I think this is good. We have another um, two, three people also on the team. Um, you know, that are sending music, going out looking for music. So it's quite a fluid process where we all work together, you know. And then when we decide collectively, you know, with Sasha obviously making the final decision on what he wants in the label and what he doesn't, um, then I'll go into executing that, um, actually rolling it out, you know, figuring out the schedule, um, commissioning remixes and so forth. So were you always passionate about dance music specifically or is this something yeah. new? Always. Okay. Since what age? Raver, raver at heart. Raver at heart. <laughs> um, I went to my first rave in 2004. Okay. I was 15. <laughs> um, it was to uh, uh, an act called uh, Infected Mushroom. Oh yeah. There's of course. Legends. Yeah, yeah. Legends yeah. in the scene. Very well. Yes. My first, my first rave, you know, my first, like, I went in and I was just like, damn, this is fun. I'm going to be doing this again. (laughs) And, um, yeah. And then I was really a lot into trance, you know, you were, we were talking about Armada earlier, you know, I was all the state of trance, you know, trance energy, transmission, Tiesto in concert. I did, I did all of it. I did all of it. I saw Tiesto in concert in Arnhem, I think in 2007 in the Hellra Dome. That was uh, pretty wild. Completely yeah, so sober that night, and I was up till seven in the morning. Good for you. Good yeah. for you. That, that's how I much mean, of a fanatic I was in those days. It's just real epicness, isn't it? I saw Tiesto in concert in 2004 yeah. as well. So, yeah, it's always, I mean, it's actually now recently, and like, especially since the lockdown, that I'm not, I'm listening to dance music way less. Obviously, I listen to a lot of demos, but in terms of what I listen, I listen to a lot of piano music, actually. A lot of Classic. piano yeah. and acoustic guitar and um, just very kind of mellow, um, more calming music. A lot of um, binaural beats and soundscapes mm. because I also, um, you know, I also teach yoga and I'm very into my meditation and more, um, I don't really like to use the word spiritual, but, you know, a little bit more into that side of things as well. So I really connect with music on that realm as well. And that's why... This project I mentioned to you before, yes. psychedelic romance, is super interesting to me because it brings together those two elements. 
That's super cool. Yeah, I mean, I've got these headphones on pretty much 16 hours a day. So when I'm working, I'm always listening to mixtapes. I listen to every episode. Huh? What do you listen to? Well, I listen to every episode of the LNOE podcast, of course, religiously. Um, I listen to a lot of drum and bass these days. I like the Random Movement podcast. Um, I don't think the mixing is the greatest, but the song selection is awesome. So I sometimes listen to classic mixes, LTJ Bukum or these kinds of things. But funny story, so I'm going to date myself versus you considerably, your first rave being 2004. Um, The first DJ album that I ever picked up was from... Sasha, and this was released in 1996. So uh, Northern Exposure 1 from Sasha and Digweed changed my life forever. I I had heard this because I always thought that music was, you know, here's a song, then there's another song. Because I had CDs, I made mixtapes, I burned things from Napster at the time. And I always thought like one song, two song, three song. And I listened to Northern Exposure, and I noticed that my CD was changing numbers, but... I didn't hear a break in the music. And I was just so confused as how that's possible that for 77 minutes, it can be a continuous experience and make sense and be awesome. And from that moment on, I mean, I was just a lifelong Sasha fan. I, you know, Global Underground 13 of his, I still think is the greatest mix ever made by anybody ever. So I revisit that from time to time each year. Um, So it's always generally electronic genre. I listen to a lot of jazz, a lot of funk, um, but old school kind of stuff. So it's either dance music or jazz and funk. But nice. music is nice. playing. It's nice, nice to have a variety, you know, different moods, different yeah. times of day, different days and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but on the Sasha mix side, we actually have yeah. something new coming out um, on exciting. the 7th of May. Well, uh, so we worked on a really uh, exciting compilation that's kind of been a long time coming. Um, and it's coming out. Um, we're doing like a hybrid kind of setup with K7. So it's um it's a similar form to the DJ Kick series, but it's under, under our own brand. So yeah, the mixed, the actual same thing. There's I think 20 tracks on the release or 22, and we, he's just finished the mix. So I just listened to that um, today. I think you'll like it. It's great. <laughs> sure, I will. I have no doubt. It's always great. So you're, you you discovered that you love this, I guess, as most of us do when you get called to this type of music because I think you either do or you don't and if you get called you say to yourself I got to be involved somehow I don't know how maybe I'm not going to be a DJ maybe I'm not going to be an artist but somehow I have to be involved when did you start thinking and what steps did you take to start making a career out of this music that you discovered Uh, it happened like um in 2010 so I was um yeah so no not 2010 I'm trying to think when it was. Yeah, around 2009, 2010, I was studying in uh, in London. I was at university there. And what were you studying? Uh, marketing and advertising with event okay. management. Got it. But I was always already into dance music. I wrote my dissertation, my bachelor thesis about dance music. And uh, my bachelor thesis was actually about how uh, marketing and advertising methods in the electronic music scene had changed from like, and it was, I think the title was like from flyering to Facebook or something like that. Okay. Makes sense. So it's like true. the paradigm of like there's the you know the the rise of social media and yes. everything like that. Um, and then I got had my first um, internship. I think it would have been in 2009 or 2010 at uh, Sony Sony Music at Deconstruction Records with Mike Pickering. Mm. Um, so it's funny because also obviously you know that's also a part of Sasha's history. So um, had my first internship there and then kind of was trying to understand all the different parts of the music industry, right? Because I was just like, there's so much stuff. Like there's a label, there's a publisher, there's a distributor, there's an agent, there's a manager. Like what are all these people doing? You know, <laughs> what's the score? And I kind of um, hopped through um, all different roles, well, most different roles. I did um, an internship at the label at Deconstruction in London. And then I um, did so uh, in a couple of weeks at the, at the internal PR company as well. Okay. Um, and then I moved over to LA to, I studied at USC. Um, I did my postgrad at USC and yeah. And there I had, uh, two, uh, one internship at, uh, universal music distribution in Santa Monica. So I worked on a distribution side and I was like, okay, <laughs> this is interesting. I learned a lot, but I knew that it wasn't that fun and it was it probably not what I, was, what I wanted to like spend my life doing. 
Sure. Um, and then I started getting involved a little bit more with the artists. I got an internship at a spin artist agency with David Brady, um, who was Avicii's agent at the time. And I was working a lot of shows and advancing shows and just understanding touring and routing. I'm like, okay, this is more like it. This is what I'm feeling good at. This is fun. But what was um, lacking for me in that role was the connection to the actual music. Because as the agent, you're not involved in any of that, right? You're just like, here's the record, work it, you know? But there's not really any demos being sent or any time in the studio. So then I realized, okay, management could be, you know, probably pretty cool. And then... I was just, to be honest, like I'd always just been meeting a lot of people from partying, you know, just, I was going to WMC for God knows how many years I was going to every single party that there was. I was just networking my ass off. You know, I I just met everyone before I even started working in the industry and then things connected. And then at some point I just got the right job, you know, at 360 and I just, I was an assistant um, and I learned a lot from, you know, my um, my line managers and they were teaching me a lot. And then, yeah, I just uh, started moving up step-by-step, step, you know, became a junior manager, then started looking after my own artists. And here I am still, still doing my thing. <laughs> how, how many years of interning before you got a job? Was it all unpaid internships? No, some of it was paid. Um, well, the thing is, it's hard to say because I was doing a lot of it whilst I was at university. So it was for oh. credits. And I right. had to do some of it for that. Right. Um, all my internships were during university. So I got a job right coming right out of university. Um, so I finished my postgrad in LA. And that's when I had the internship at um, Spin. And they offered me a job um, to work there. But um, to be honest with you, I just wanted to be in Europe. Like, I love LA. And I spent a lot of time there. My dad lives there. And I, you know, I have a, a base there. But I just feel more... European at heart you know I like living in Germany London Amsterdam it's just a bit more my vibe I love going to LA but I just didn't really see myself building a career there in the long term Mm -hmm. so I came back to Europe that summer and I started working at 360 right um, in in so I graduated in May um went to Cuba for a month um enjoyed a summer and then started working in September right away can you can you dive a little deeper into the difference between Europe and LA? I'm just fascinated. What what do you see as the difference in vibe or work culture, whatever you want to um, say? It's to be on. I don't know. It's many things. What I like about Europe is just the proximity of everything. You know, like I mean, I'm talking everything pre-Corona right now, okay? Because right now none of this is applicable. But you know, I I was living in London for such a long time, and it was like let's go to a festival in Amsterdam on the weekend, you know, let's take the train to Paris. Oh, let's go to Ibiza next week. The flights are 50 pounds. You know, it's just like, you can just jump around. And I just think the scene, like from what I listen, I listen to Sasha, but I also listen to a lot of kind of more um, like Berlin driven techno. The dark stuff. You know, deeper. Berkheim kind (laughs) of vibe, more heavier stuff. And that sound is here. In Amsterdam, there's that sound as well in the school and Trau, you know. Yep. That sound is now also in LA, but at the time it wasn't so much. You know, now there's a lot of cool, um, more underground uh, illegal parties happening, like on the east side and stuff in LA. So when I go back there, I'm like, okay, that sound is 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 there now. But I don't know. I was just drawn to here. Also, you know, my 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 mom is here. Um, wanted to be closer to her, and I don't know. It was just a decision I made at the time. Yep. Um, I understand. Yeah, that makes and sense. yeah, I still go back to LA and I, 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 love, I love going back there. I love spending like a month there. Sometimes normally like in February, March, I spend uh, in LA at my dad's. Okay. Um, and this time. year, obviously, this year, last year, I haven't. To get away from the cold for a minute or two. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we touched on, and, and I think one of the things that I definitely wanted to talk about today was how things are working now. We know that in the pandemic, arguably one of the most hard hit industries is the music industry and touring DJs are, uh, in my experience, very depressed. They don't know what to do with themselves. I have good friends who have been touring for years and years and years, and suddenly they faced an empty calendar and they're dealing with a lot of depression. Um, some artists are able to keep themselves afloat with royalties and licensing and streams if they're doing that. But a lot of the underground artists who don't have as much of that have been struggling. 
So I just kind of wanted to get your take on the current situation and what are you guys doing? Are you just riding it out, waiting till things change? Or have you said, no, we're going to change our business model? So maybe just let's talk a little I mean, bit about that. We're trying to change the business model. You know, we're trying to create more income through music, you know, mm-hmm. simply. And with an act like Weevil, for example, that's very, very much possible. It's not even possible. It's already happening, you know. There's things coming in. They make really good money from royalties. You know, they're very stream-friendly music. Um, you know, they're more like of an album artist and they tour in cycles. So for them, it's yeah. not such a big change because, you know, they might normally be taking some time of touring anyway. Um, I'm fortunate that all the artists I work with um, are still very creative and we're doing a lot of stuff together, um, working on campaigns and music releases. You know, I've had this huge project with Sasha at the moment. The label is keeping us busy. In terms of financials, like I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's definitely not great at the moment. It's also not great for managers. You know, we work on commission, so it's right. it's cool. it's tough times all around, but Honestly, Ross, I don't know. We've somehow just managing to make it work. There's like a remix that comes in here and there. And then there's like a little, you know, we're getting in advance from here and there. And then there's a, a royalties pay- paycheck from a sample pack that comes through. And yeah, of course, it, the thing is, you know, when someone is touring, you know, on the level like someone like Sasha, no matter what else you get in, you know, it's not going to make up for the money that you make from touring. It's just too too much of a chunk of it. But it's still good to have other um, bits and pieces of financials tricking, trickling in. But yeah, I mean, of course we're waiting and writing it out. I mean, we are, I mean, we, you know, it's like, it's such a big, important part of the industry, the live right. side, you know, it's also the fun part. It's like really that connection to the fans and to the audience and to the people and to the colleagues. It's like, that's, I mean, I think like 99% of the people working in this business is that's where they're in it. Right. It started because you're, you're at a party. You're like, well, this is kind of fun. Then it's somehow you end up backstage, you meet some people. And next thing you know, you have a job, you know, that's why we're all in it. That's why things like ADE, it's such like a, a global get together for the industry every year. And even though everyone's like, Oh, I hate this. It's a pain in the ass. Everyone kind of loves it as well. They kind it's of just love it too, yeah. everyone, you know, ADE for those who don't know is Amsterdam dance event. And it's oh, yeah. everybody in the industry flocks. It's a, kind of like a who's who. And everybody has coffee with everybody. It's kind of hilarious. It's almost like a game or beers. Them. <laughs> yeah, or beers, right? <laughs> Coffee in the morning, beers at night. Who can have the most meetings in a day? I feel like is almost the. No, but then by Friday, all the meetings get canceled, and everyone's just on a yeah, big break. Too long oh. over, yeah. <laughs> so no, it's Very just true. fun, you know. Like, and yeah. I don't know. Like, I there's been a lot of hope in the last year, and then a lot of let down again. And I'm trying not to. Um, pinpoint a date where I'm like, okay, from here, it's all going to be, you know, onwards and upwards. But at the same time, I do like to remain a bit positive and be confident. I do think that we're going to see some sort of activity this summer. You know, I think we have to, I mean, now the winter is tough anyway, but I do hope that once we get out of that, I mean, even last year in the summer, things got a lot better. You know, I mean, there wasn't festivals and stuff, but in Berlin, there was definitely things going on and we saw things pick up here and here now and again. And I'm just hoping that this summer that's going to happen, but then that's going to continue. You know, it's not going to then come to October and everything's locked down again, but rather things are going to open up again. You know, it's going to be an outdoor thing, but then also the indoor venues are going to come back. Like, to be honest, I love a festival, but I'm a, I'm, I'm a club person. I like to be indoor and I like it to be dark. (laughs) So, and I think, um, I think it is going to, it is going to happen. It's an, it is going to happen. You know, it's just, it's taking time. It's taking much longer than we'd all hoped, but we, you know, we have to hang in there really. What else are we going to do? Am, 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 are you ready to completely give up, you know, events and parties and that lifestyle? No, no one is. So we just need to hang in there and do everything we can to make it happen as fast as possible. Sure. How would you describe the emotional journey then for you and for the team and for your artists let's say from March of last year until now have, has it been basically the same or was it like up and down and leveled off? It's up and down. It's definitely up and down. Um, I think in the last couple of months, it's been more stable because everyone's just like accepting and like, okay, this is happening, you know, whereas last year, like the fuck is going on? You know, what is this? You know, no one like saw this coming. So it's been a lot of up and down, but you know, I also want to say that, 
I'm fortunate in the sense that, you know, my immediate environment, everyone has been somewhat stable. And I know there's a lot of people really, really struggling and suffering a lot more than I am portraying right now, you know, and I feel for all of those people, you know, and I just understand and have empathy for people that are going through a lot worse situations, you know, like I'm still here. I have my apartment, you know, I have food on the table. Like I'm still, I'm still good. Things aren't what they used to be, but I'm still very comfortable. You know, and I think that takes that existential worry uh, away. And that's, that's important. Whereas I know, you know, a lot of people are, they're being Uber drivers right now or delivering posts and stuff like that. They're just, they're just, they're hustling to do what they can to, you know, put food on the table for their family. So I, I feel for them and it's important as a manager. And I think just generally as a person um, during this time to learn how to, you know, communicate and um, feel for others that may not be in um, situations as fortunate. And I've done some studying and reading, and I'm also currently actually doing a course specifically about um, coping with mental health Mm. and coping with people struggling with mental health, um, just to understand how to be more compassionate, how to be more empathic um, around stuff like that. And it's very, very important. And it's going to continue to remain important because just, because events bounce back, I think the effects of this pandemic are going to be in place for decades to come. Yeah, it has to be, right? You know, my guest two weeks ago, well, by the time the show airs, it'll be two weeks ago, uh, said that right now one in four people in Los Angeles County are experiencing food insecurity in a given month. Is experiencing what, sorry? Food insecurity. Not sure where their next meal will come from. One in four in this county. And there's 10 million people in Los Angeles. So that speaks to the volume of people who have been hit just ridiculously hard. So I'm glad that you are at least relatively stable. I mean, maybe not as ideal, but I'm glad to hear that you are at least okay. <laughs> You're surviving and living and you have food on the okay. table and all of those good things. Yeah. I'm definitely um, okay. And I'm very grateful for the fact that I am, you know, and I'm not, yes. I think what a, a huge learning curve for all of us in this thing has been, is just, we can't take anything for granted, you know, like, Last year in March, I was, you know, planning Glastonbury shows and I was, you know, doing God knows what. And then I remember I was like, I just remember this all happened so fast. I was at dinner and I just first heard this thing. And my friend is like, you know, did you hear what's going on in China with this coronavirus thing? I'm like, whatever. I was just like, yeah, whatever. And then one week later. And then you're just like, whoa, we're in it. And then one year later, we're still in it. We're still in it. Yeah, it's coming up in a year. You know, one one interesting thing for the music fans out there that I've that and if you listen to artists like Sasha, any touring DJ, when they record their live sets and they they share them, you can always feel the audience if it's a live recorded set. Or there's always a certain intensity. And anybody who's been on the side of the turntables where they're playing a show, you know that you're gonna play differently in front of a crowd. There's nerves, there's intensity, there's energy, make different decisions. So one of the interesting things for me is just hearing all of these DJs like Sasha making mixtapes that don't have the energy of that crowd in them. You know, a couple months ago, Sasha released a, a, his Burning Man mix, and it was like a down-tempo kind of breakbeat mix almost. And I was thinking to myself, a year or two ago, he never would have put, he hadn't put a mix out like that in, I want to say, 10 years at least that had that kind of vibe. And it's just interesting because... Maybe people are feeling a little down some days, or maybe people are feeling a little bit less energy. So there's just a different vibe in the art that I'm seeing being made. I don't know if you've felt that yourself. I mean, 100%, of course. They actually did this, uh, the, 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 new, the new release that we're putting out is actually also a bit more in this lane because I think it's just hard to get your head around club music when you're not in the club. You're not like, oh, there's no energy, yeah. They, they, go, they go hand in hand. And I think also, yeah. you know, I was... What Sasha was saying in particular as well, you know, like normally when he makes a record, a club record, he thinks, okay, I'm going to play this at 4 a.m. at Fabric. That's where this record goes. And then you go and you test it out and you're like, how does the crowd react? Without that reference point, you can't make music like that. You know, so it's, that, that element's been taken away and people are just, you're automatically listening. Everyone's listening a lot on Spotify, you know, and different music is coming t- to you. And I think... You know, we've built this new brand uh, called Who's a Scorer, um, which is yes. also the, the title of the playlist. Out and that's going to be yeah. the, that's going to be also, you know, a concept around what we're going to be what we're going to be putting out. So, 
Yeah, I mean, look, people, like I was saying to you before, we listen to different types of music depending on our mood and depending on our circumstances and surroundings. And this whole thing is one big circumstance. Yes, <laughs> yes, right. And, and, and artists, you know, emotional people, it's, it's a series of emotions that you're broadcasting. I think that's what's always, to me, the most fascinating thing. My wife is a vocal coach and she deals with the psychological aspects. She has a master's degree in psychology of vocalists and artists. And it's very interesting in the music business or in any creative business, you have to make money with something that is at its heart an emotional thing. And there's always this kind of interesting tension between those who are just number driven, like the accountants, or maybe at certain bigger labels, they just want to see those numbers rising every month and they almost dehumanize the process. And then you have somebody sitting in a cube somewhere trying to make magic happen, you know, for 14, 15 hours a day in a studio. And it's just very interesting the way that these, I'm, I'm very fascinated by the meeting point of creativity, entrepreneurship, and business, because it's such an unusual area versus, you know, I'm just going to make toilets and I'm going to sell them, or I'm going to do, I'm going to be a plumber. There's so many things where business is not connected to that. Um, so I wanted to ask a bit about like, what, what's your toolkit? Like, what would you say to somebody who might want to do what you're doing? What is your toolkit? Like, what are skills that you would say that you have or that are necessary to have to blend creativity and business? I think you have to be somewhat of an extrovert. You know, a lot of it is about talking to, not even an extrovert, but you have to have good communication skills and you have to like to socialize because a lot of it is about networking and knowing people, you know? Do you know your Myers-Briggs, the uh, four-letter thing? Do you know what it is, your personality type, is ENFP, yeah. or what are you? What am I? Um, I need to look it up. I actually, hang on. I did this. Um, I wrote it the other day. Um, let me see if I still have it in my notes. I say ENFP because that's that's what I am. Definitely the E, the e versus I. E, e I um, F J. E I F J. So that's probably, that's interesting. So like the E and the F <laughs> might be the creative part. And so actually, I think it's E, it's E, it's E N oh, F J. Yeah. Okay, so we're one off then. I'm ENFP. But maybe the judging helps with the artist management. I'm not, not had, exactly. Uh, have my it in my brother, I'm not um, 100% sure I've, I've got it right. But yeah. It sounds believable, though. I mean, it sounds that's more of a creative person. Like my stepbrother, we were having dinner way back before this whole thing happened. And he made a remark where he said something like, everybody would just rather sit down by themselves and work rather than having to talk to somebody. And I looked at him and I had to laugh because I said, no, man, <laughs> that's such, I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to guess that you are ISTJ because I am ENFP. So we're polar opposites. And he took the test and it turned out that that was the case. So anyways, yeah. go on. Extrovert I, is a must. Yeah. Extrovert, you know, because also like, I think part of the music business, like you have, like I said to myself, when it gets to a point when I don't want to live it anymore, I'm going to do something else. You know, like if it gets to the point where, I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to go to a show. I don't want to go to a gig. Then it's like, well, I might as well just do something else, you know, where I don't have to do that. So I think that's a big, that's a big part of it. Um, I think being a manager as well, like you have to be somewhat organized or you have to be able to, because you're trying to keep other people in check sometimes, right? More than other, but you have to, you know, you have to hit deadlines and stuff. So if you can't have that intact for yourself, so either you have to, you have to have that persona yourself or you have to have an assistant that has that. <laughs> yeah. But it has to be somewhat a part of the team, you know, because whereas some artists are very self-sufficient, you know, they'll never miss a flight, they'll never miss a deadline. The majority, you know, and I say that carefully are not because <laughs> they're very creative people. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's why I think, you know, a creative person with a manager is a great pairing because you have different strengths, right? And that's why you work together. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that those are definitely two things that are somewhat important I think you have to, and this is something that I am not the best at, but you have to have patience as well. You know, you have to understand that things don't happen overnight. There's long lead times on stuff sometimes. You know, when you're negotiating a deal, it can take months, months. You're just like, oh my God, I'm still talking about this contract. I'm still negotiating this deal or I'm still planning this release or I'm still waiting for a reply because you're so dependent on so many other people in this business, you know, is it the label? Is it the promoter? And it's just, there's so many um, external factors that are feeding into your workflow 
that you just can't control everything, you know? And I also, I like to have everything under control, but it's not all up to you. So it's like, you can have your shit together and you can be the most organized person in the world, but the stars might not be aligning completely and you might just have to have patience and ride it out a little bit. So that's definitely something I think I've become way better at. Um, it's like, if it's not done this week, I'll get done next week or maybe I'll get done next month. You know, you're doing what you can. And I think especially during Corona, just taking that pressure off a little bit, like right. things are just slower right now. You know, right. the whole world is slower. Everyone is maybe working a little bit less um, or just taking a step back. And there's just, there's just nothing wrong with that. No, not at all. And, you know, calling to mind, you probably saw the Avicii documentary. Speaking of, you saw the documentary and great example of the tension between an artist and emotions and needs and the business side you know this sensitive soul being run ragged by what appeared to be a very hostile team around him who's like no you're gonna do 300 shows this year we don't care that you're burnt out you will earn us that money because you know i think at one point his manager or somebody said think of all of the people <laughs> who will lose money if you don't tour when he wanted to stop touring and of course, nobody was asking, think of you, the guy who's yeah. struggling right now. And look what happened. Um, but I think the issue, you know, that whole topic around mental health has become much more open in yeah. the last couple of years because we've heard, and, you know, Avicii was just one of the many artists, you know, not just in the electronic music and, and beyond, you know, that couldn't handle the pressure. And I think just being much more wary of that, you know, but if someone needs to take time off, they should be allowed to take time off like the rest of the world. You know, yep. if you're an accountant, you can take time off. So if you're touring DJ, you also need to be able to take time off. And it's important to recognize that. So like if an artist ever said to me, like, Marin, like I need a month off, then, you know, I wouldn't be putting shows in the diary. Right. I think you have to be respectful of that. You know, at the end of the day, we're all people and yeah, this is a job, but you know, I always say this and I think it's something that, gets lost a lot because what you said before, people are a lot of people in this business, very, very money driven and only money driven. But like I got into this job and I'm still doing this job because I love music. Right. And it's supposed to be fun. You know, like we're not heart surgeons, you know, we're not fighting wars, you know, we're providing something that's supposed to be entertainment and that's supposed to make people feel good and that's supposed to bring joy to the world in some sort of sense. And maybe that's a really idealistic way of looking at it, but I still think that that's something that should be at the forefront of what we're doing. Of course, it has to be a business and it has to be sustainable. And I agree and I get all of that. But I think when you find yourself in a situation where everyone is so stressed out, you know, the vibes are bad, you're just like, okay, well, what are we doing here, guys? You know, and I think just coming back to that point and just pausing for a minute and trying to reignite the magic and the love, <laughs> it's yeah. important. Yeah. And, you know, there's another issue that, that always comes up when you're talking about dance or music, and that is, and versus other industries, is the drug addiction alcoholism side of things. Um, I, obviously not naming any names, don't even want to touch that, but, like, is that something? Because, again, when you're, you got business... But then you have people whose job is to party and throw parties. And, you know, as somebody who DJed for many, many years, generally when you are DJing, I mean, they're like, what do you want? How much alcohol do you want today? How much anything you want? It's all available. It's encouraged. Oftentimes promoters, they'll come up, they'll, oh, let's do a shot. Let's do this or that. How do you feel about the, the role that drugs and alcohol plays in the business or especially like a sustainable career in dance music? It's really hard to give a general answer to that because it's very different for everyone. I know people that are extremely successful in this business that have never touched drugs and they've never even tried a pill or anything yeah. like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And I know quite a lot of people like that and they're, you know, very successful people. I know people that have, you know, indulged in all of it and now are completely sober because they decided that was better yeah. for them. So it's just, it's, it's, of course it's there, you know, like I'm not kidding anyone. If you're partying until 9 a.m. or if clubs are open <laughs> right. for 48 hours, I mean, come on, you know, like, who are you oh. kidding? Yeah. There's obviously people take help to stay awake, you know, and if it's around you all the time. But I think it's just like that with anything, you know, you have to try to just find the balance for yourself. And if you feel you can't find that balance, you need to reach out and try to get support. Yep. But um you know, I've done my fair share of partying. And obviously when you're out, you know, people, it gets exciting. People get carried away. Right. But then I think also, you know, the longer you do it for, 
it also gets to a point where you really can't just go out and you just go, you go out and you just go for the set and then you leave, you know, yep. it's more like a work thing. Then it becomes and then you have your nights, you're like, okay, this is an all night set or I love the lineup, but it's a great festival. Like I'm partying here, you know, like that's how I'm doing it. Sometimes I just, yeah. I pick and choose, you know, if I'm like on tour, if I have like a full blown summer, I'm like, okay, this is my schedule coming up. I definitely can't afford to be partying all these weekends. So, you know, sometimes you just, for me, it's, you just go completely sober, you know, you just drink water, you drink, you know, you just, you just do, you do one of those, which is also completely fine. Um, but it's, again, it's just, it's really, really different for everyone, you know? Um, and I know people are struggling with this a lot as well, but it's just, it's important to, to do whatever makes you feel good. And if you feel that you're push that you're burning the candle at both ends, that you recognize that. Do you think that there's a trend amongst those who are more successful versus less successful that say the people who are more successful for 20, 30, 40 years who have a really long career tend to lean towards sobriety relatively early on in their career or see it as a job? Or is there really no, like some do, some don't, no correlation? wouldn't really see that as a, I mean, I'm sure there's examples of that, but I also wouldn't really see that as a correlation. I mean, look at some okay. of the DJs that have been, you know, going strong throughout, you know, and they're still, you know, having a drink and this and this and that. So yeah. I think, I think they've just learned how to Maybe, you know, some people are just like, okay, I'm not drinking in like off periods, you know, like January, February, March, I'm not drinking at all. I'm giving my body that time to rest and recover. Like I know, for example, Sven Bates, like that's what he does, you know, like, and he's very, he's done an extensive interview about it. He's like for six months of the year or for three months or whatever, you know, I take nothing. I live like the healthiest, cleanest life that I can. And when it's summer and it's Ibiza, it's summer in Ibiza, <laughs> you know? Oh, I know, he's the, the Mecca. The first time I was there, I, I went there. My wife was also performing. And, like, I opened the door to the hotel, and across the bay, deep, progressive house was playing. And it was just playing from all around. And, I, and it was warm, and it was beautiful. And I thought to myself, am I in heaven? Like, did I literally die and go to heaven? Because everybody I'm there yeah. liked what I liked. And I've grown up my whole life with nobody understanding or liking what I liked. You know, when I was a kid, I, I'm from Denver, Colorado. So when I found Sasha and Paul Van Dyke and all of these early artists, I was in my own world with headphones on 24 seven and nobody even knew what house music was, what trance music was. Like all Americans referred to everything as techno. Anything electronic was techno. Yeah. And Eminem was famously very much against Moby and Moby was techno and he was the yeah. only no, artist that anybody <laughs> knew it's like what is techno yeah. moby that's it and i'm like yeah. nobody knew who tiesta was and i'm talking about the world's number one djs at the time like dj mag number one nobody within 100 miles of me even yeah. knew who they were you know except for like very underground parties um but that just comes back a little bit also to the point where I was, what you were asking me before about the states you know like yeah um some no country it's ironic because techno, it's techno comes from detroit you know like that so is ironic i know it's so weird that, but it was never nobody knew that that's way too advanced kind of laughed and it did a loop you know like there's many books right. that's saying you know nobody but knew like, that black people created it in america nobody they just saw it as yeah. this white german like kraftwerk you know that's what like fan 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 of the autobahn you know like this was like they didn't think there was any soul to it but when I when I went to Ibiza for the first time, it was just like, oh my god, I'm surrounded by people who understand what I feel. It was amazing. It was, and I still probably want to move there one day. That's still a dream of mine. I lived there for two years. Yeah, it's holds. Yeah, it's holds a special place. I normally spend the summers there, but obviously, last year I was there for a month. I probably got there for a month this summer, depending on you know what the situation is saying and stuff. But oh, yeah, it's I'm beautiful. You know, it's, the music jealous. thing is one thing. It's just a beautiful island. You know, it's got a good vibe and. Good vibe, good people. There's yeah. definitely worse places to be spending your time in. That's so true. Yeah, and um, but yeah, it's 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 interesting that that here uh, what you said about the people not understanding it. It's it's all hip hop, and that can make me feel very crazy sometimes. And in Europe, it it does feel a little better in that regard. Um, one thing that I also wanted to get to was if there was somebody out there, one of the big chief reasons for my podcast is to educate people who are considering careers or to help people think outside the box. That's the general gist of it. Um, to show people, people who are happy, fulfilled, and who are doing what they love. It could be anything. That's basically the idea. So if somebody out there thinks, I want to follow in her path, I want to do what Marin is doing, 
What advice would you have to somebody who wants to get involved and to follow in your footsteps? Like, what's a blueprint? Hustle. Gotta hustle. <laughs> you gotta hustle. You just go after what you what you want. You gotta be, you know, out there. You know, it's difficult right now because you can't go out and network. You know, but you just have to be be places. You know, be places, meet people. And, you know, don't be afraid to ask, ask for favors, ask like, Hey, like, you know, can you introduce me to this person? Can you help me with this? You know, like, that's how I got my first job at Sony. You know, I had to, I don't even, I don't even remember how I got it, but I was also just, I think I met someone at Ministry of Sound that, you know, knew someone. I'm like, Hey, can you introduce me to this person? And then, you know, just calling them and texting them and reminding them, like, you can't be like, you have to be polite, but you also have to be a bit of a pain in the ass. You know, you have to be persistent because there's a ton of people that want to do what you're doing. And it's like that with, I think, most of the competitive creative industries, you know, be that fashion, film, TV, music. A lot of people, you know, they see this glamorous job. And I also will say, like, it's not as glamorous as everyone thinks it is. It's definitely not. You know, there's definitely some downsides. But, yeah, I think the biggest piece of advice I could give is just be persistent. Like, be persistent with what you want, you know, and reach out to people. And don't be demotivated if you don't get a reply. Because I also, I, I went, you know... I email a ton of people and, you know, try to reach out. And sometimes you get shut down, but just, it is what it is. But, you know, you might knock on 20 doors and one will open and that will be the right one. But you can't just expect to have everything fall into your lap. It's not going to happen. So if you don't have a bit of a thick skin, then I would suggest to choose a different career. So school important or not important? Mm, I... Probably, probably for what I'm doing right now, I wouldn't need a degree. However, um, I learned so much in my time at university. I met a lot of people throughout that time. And I think it just generally made me become a better person. I loved studying. I loved learning. Um, you know, I never would skip class. I was going to every lesson because I'm like, I want to be here. You know, like high school, you have to be there. But university, you don't have to be there. And I actually think it's a little bit selfish if you go there and just keep skipping class. And it's like someone else could be taking your place that wants to be there. Um, when I was at USC, I took a bunch of classes at Thornton School of Music as well, where I really learned, I took like introduction to the music business. And there I really learned, okay, like what's a publisher? How does that work? I would have probably learned that eventually anyway in my job. So I wouldn't say it's completely necessary, but um, I have no regrets. I mean, I did an undergrad and I did a, a, a double postgrad degree, you know, and I, I enjoyed it. And to be honest, I wouldn't even rule, I wouldn't even rule out maybe one day going back to school and studying something else. I just, I like to learn. And what I think might you that develop be? yourselves, maybe not necessarily just in, in what you want. You know, even if you study something that's not going to be your job, it's not time wasted. You learn a lot of other skills at university that are maybe not. Do I remember every single lesson I was ever taught? I mean, definitely not, but right. <laughs> you acquire other skills throughout the process. But you feel that it was a general help. You say like, I'm glad that I did what I did. I'm glad that I studied what I studied. 100%. I absolutely loved every minute of it. I mean, I went yeah. to the London School of the Arts. I went to London School of Economics and I went to USC. All three really, really, really amazing universities. And um, I'm glad and That's privileged. True. That's great quite an the, education. Do you yeah. feel, I did a show about the importance of living abroad. Do you feel that living abroad for an extended period of time enriched your life and helped you succeed at business? 100%. I mean, I, I've lived in many, many different countries. You know, I lived in LA, I lived in Cyprus, in London, in Germany, in the Netherlands, cool. in Spain. And I think it's just that adaptability and being versatile and getting to know different cultures and people and speaking different languages. It's just yes. all part of becoming who you are. And maybe it's not for everyone. You know, some people like to be comfortable and be in their own home and that's great but for me like I live in Amsterdam now but I don't think this is going to be the last place I'm going to live you know I just moved here it's a new city it's for me an and awesome I love it city. I love yeah. Amsterdam it's a wonderful city oh great yeah it's, it's beautiful cool. it's, yeah just it's, it's lovely so place. yeah I, I think it's a definitely especially if you want to be in like a business that's so international like the music business you know it's it's great um I you know I just I think with the education that I took, I could have definitely gone. And at the time, you know, when I, when I was interviewing for jobs that summer, I interviewed at, uh, for a media job with Google. And I could have gone down that route. And my dad is like, I cannot believe you're not taking this job. You know, like he wasn't <laughs> happy. He's like, 
all this education, you're going to the music business, like what the fuck are you doing? But you know, now I'm at a point oh, where I'm, you know, I'm self-employed. You know, I'm doing my own thing. I'm not dependent on anyone. You know, I can, I can work whatever hours I want. I can work wherever I want, and it just it works for me with the lifestyle that I live. You know, because my, you know, my partner has a similar setup. You know, so it's just that flexibility. It just works for us. You know, I couldn't really imagine ever going back to being employed. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you go into a corporate job. Nine to five would kill me. And yeah, you might have a bigger paycheck, but it's also like, what is success for you? For me, success is having this freedom that I have. That's success for me. I agree. It's the very same for me. Freedom is is paramount. I realized pretty early on, some years ago, I remember the feeling that I realized that no matter what the job was, if I had to be somewhere from nine to five every day in a physical location, that I would never be happy. I had it, it hit me immediately. It doesn't matter what it is. Could be working for Apple, could be working for literally anybody. If you're telling me I have to be in a chair from nine to five at this and physical I location, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll never be happy doing that. Hundred percent. I just don't even know how I would do it. Like I just, my day is just so fluid. You know, I wake up, I work a couple of hours, and I'm like, okay, I need to run an errand. Or today, I'm like, oh my god, it's so nice and sunny. Let me go for a little bike ride around right. the city. Let me grab a coffee, and then let me come back to work. You know, it's not. I'm so grateful that that's not even something that I need to think about. You know, I play, I'm like, Oh, I've got a call. Let me just go walk around the block and take that call. Like, I don't know. It's just, this flexibility it speaks, is great. It speaks to what we said about personality earlier. I mean, some people need to be told what to do. They need to have structure and plans and they need to have all of this rigid lifestyle for them mm-hmm. to be happy. Other people need creativity, new problems, crazy problems, intensity. And obviously, you would have to be one of those type of people. I mean, I'll you tell you thrive. something. You have to be extremely, extremely, extremely disciplined and self-motivated, you know. And I'll also tell you, you know, I've had my share of, you know, crazy weekends and on tour and stuff. And even when I was working for myself, I would get up on a Monday and sit on my laptop. Yep. When I could have easily not done that, you know, I could have easily stayed in bed and just, you know, done nothing till Wednesday, but you have to kick yourself in the ass because like, if you're going to have fun on the weekend and if you're going to live this life and if you want to ripe all the fruits that you get from it, you know, and enjoy, then you also need to work hard. You know, it comes, it's both hand in hand. And if you're not motivated and not doing that for yourself, then you're not going to succeed because it's a I very slippery agree. slope to just being caught up in right. that lifestyle. Um, and then you're not going to make anything of yourself. And and I think that people like us who are doing this before the pandemic hit, I think we had a bit of an advantage because a lot of people who were in an office, they came home and they didn't have that self-discipline. They didn't have those habits. So they end up watching Game of Thrones all day or not clocking in or sleeping in. But if you have been independent as you have and as I have for many years, you have realized, okay, I need to do this myself. Nobody's going to tell me when to wake up, but I'm still going to wake up at dawn or I'm still going to get this done. I'm still going to work on a Saturday if that's what it needs to be or a Sunday night. You know, there's no rules, but you have to get it done. So I did kind of feel in the very beginning of the pandemic when everybody was struggling, I felt in some sense, this is kind of like what I was always doing. (laughs) Like it didn't because you still have to. It's about the results. It's not about the time you're spending in a chair, right? It's about what are you getting done? So it's also nice if you have some sort of, I have a really comfortable work home set up here, you know, I have a little home office and stuff. So I'm, I'm grateful to have that, you know, you have vinyl record player behind you, which is nice. Yeah. There's two new techniques here. Beautiful. Old school. Love it. So, all right, let's, let's, let's wrap this up. First of all, thank you for everything. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you. It's been really nice to chat to you. You have a very fascinating uh, life and I, you know, kudos to you for, for navigating the path that you have. I think it's really cool. Um, and I look you're forward up. to future things. But before we wrap up, I want to do a couple rapid-fire questions, if you're okay with that. So these are yes. just snappy, snappy stuff, okay? All right, so first of all, favorite DJ? <laughs> Sasha. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, uh, Sven Oh, okay. So you switched Sven Bay. Okay. Favorite style of music? Sasha is a... For me, I work with him, you know, I want to, I love, to be honest, when I see Sasha, for me, it's pure magic, but I also want to say someone that I don't work with, so it's a little bit, um, you know, disconnected from, from okay. what we've been talking about. Got it. Favorite style of music? Techno. Techno, and the harder techno. Yes, Berlin okay. techno. All right, great. Uh, what do you hate about the music business? Snobbiness. Stuck up people, people with an attitude. 
people that think they're better than the rest of the world. And do you experience that a lot? Yes. Every day. <laughs> Often. Okay. Less so, less so, less, less so nowadays. Less so nowadays. Okay, got it. All right, so next one. Give me one minute of life-changing advice. Sorry, one minute of what? Life-changing advice. Life-changing advice. I don't know if this is going to be life-changing advice, but I think it's just you have to do what you love to do. You know, I think you, this, for me, the most important thing always just, and that's what I've done all my life, just following what makes me happy. Because if you end up sitting in a position that you're not happy, you're not self-fulfilled, uh, not self-fulfilled, that's going to impact your well-being. If you have kids, that's going to impact their well-being. It's going to impact your partner. It's going to impact people around you. So I think just doing what you love and also just not being afraid of doing different things. You know, like I, yeah, I'm a manager in the music business, but I also, you know, I go to India for a month, a year, and I go live in an ashram and I let just disconnect myself from everyone because that's what works for me. And it's not something that, you know, everyone can relate to, but I don't care. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what other people think, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. You have to, nowadays, you know, let's wait for this pandemic to blow over you really can be, you know, and I know your parents tell you this when you're a kid, but you can be whatever you want to be. You really can. And, but it's also really up to you to make it happen. Like no one is going to make it happen for you. You have to make shit happen yourself. And if you have to give yourself a little kick in the ass every now and again, then so be it. But yeah, just do very corny, but do what makes you happy. <laughs> I love it. Uh, what is the best piece of advice from somebody else that you've ever received? Um, not to sign too many artists. <laughs> okay. Is you there a sweet spot? Sign, you, can, you can always sign artists, but you can't easily drop artists. Is there a sweet spot? Like what's the target number? It just depends how busy you are and if you're in cycle or whatnot, I think, you know. I think now I'm very happy with three. I've also worked on five before and it was too many. So it just kind of depends. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. All right, favorite boy band, Backstreet Boys or NSYNC? Backstreet Boys. You want to see? <laughs> okay, wow, instantaneously. I love it. I need to show you were ready for that to... one. You were ready for that one. Right Look what I just got. <laughs> no, get out of here. Backstreet Boys, Millennium on Yeah, and I went to see them, I went to see them in Las Vegas. I went to see them in Las Vegas. I went to see them in Las Vegas last February at Planet Hollywood. Get out of here. That is so funny that of all the things that I could, you have it right there, ready to go. Like it was pre-planned. I got it. My boyfriend got it for me for Christmas. <laughs> That's so <laughs> We went to sort of back together. Yeah. All right. I think a lot of people have chosen. No, actually quite a few people from Europe have chosen Backstreet Boys. That's true. I think they were bigger over there. I think here more people might choose NSYNC, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, very cool. Okay. So if, you know, one last thing, let's say you're on your, your, your deathbed, you have one thing that you can tell the world. What? Oh God. Uh, I don't know. Uh, live a life you will remember. Live a life you will remember. Very cool. Well, thank you so much. I mean, that concludes. All right. The rapid fire part is done. Bravo. Good job. I'm not going to grill you anymore. Uh, but I do want to give you the opportunity, if there's anything that you want to promote or anything you want to share, um, please go ahead, tell everybody, you know, how they can support you or your artists. I leave the floor to you to wrap this up. Yeah, sure. I mean, just following our pages, you know, uh, Ellen O uh, E label on Instagram, Sasha's Instagram, Weevil, JP, you know, those are the artists I work with. Um, you can look me up. My Instagram handle is Marin underscore Monica. If, um, you know, you feel like you want to reach out to me, send me some music or feel like you want to talk to me about advice, I'm trying to be really open and um, helping others where I can. So, yeah, if you want to talk to me about anything, drop me a line on Instagram um, and I'll do my best to get back to you. Hope I don't regret this. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, yeah, no, that's it. Otherwise, Ross, um, thank you for um, a nice chat. Um, I thank hope you. that we get to meet each other in the flesh, either in LA or in Amsterdam. Yes. Sometime soon. Anytime. That would be wonderful. But yeah. I, I really appreciate yeah. you taking the time. I know how busy you are. Um, so very much enjoyed this. And I hope it helps a lot of people. And again, just a general word of encouragement. Keep on doing what you're doing. I think it's great. 
I will uh, very much continue to be a fan of LNOE regardless. So uh, you must be doing something right. <laughs> I'm At happy to hear it. I'm opinion. happy to. I keep you posted on the next releases and everything we've got Please coming do. up. And, uh, let's let's keep in touch, okay? Okay, sounds good. With that, podcast officially over thanks for listening to the beat the often path podcast if you've been enjoying this show please like comment share subscribe on apple Podcasts. subscribe to me on youtube it would mean the world to me also do you have an unusual success story or do you know someone who does well please recommend them to me they could be a future guest on this show maybe they've rolled the largest boulder down the mountains of tibet Or maybe they built the world's largest chicken farm in Madagascar. The point is, I don't know what I don't know. So I'm looking for inspiration and unusual success stories. So help me by being a part of this adventure. I'm looking to grow this podcast with you. Thanks again for listening.